Kim. Thank you, Brother Kevin. Thank you, Miss Robin and Miss Heidi, for your ministry to us. It's hard to believe this is our 13th and final message in this series. I say that a lot as we close out series. Uh, typically, a series can last anywhere from four weeks to eight weeks or 13 weeks. I think the longest series that I've preached has been about 20 weeks, and so uh, this one, 13 weeks. And uh, what a blessing it's been to go through these. Last week, we looked at the faith of Rahab, <clears throat> and we looked at that in verse 31. If you look back there at your text there, if you have your, your Bibles there, it says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. It's interesting just to look at that. It says, By faith she perished not with those that believe not. And, you know, you think about faith, and we think, by the way, we think about her, and we think about her sins before the faith, and we think of the start of her faith, and then the service of her faith, and remember, she stumbled a little bit in her faith, she told a lie, but then the settlement of faith, how God, of course, rewarded faith, and then how she is a snapshot of faith. She believed the awful news of coming wrath. She knew that God's purposes were certain and true. She realized that God was a great God and able to destroy and able to save. She feared God and because of her sinfulness and the coming judgment. She desired greatly that she and her family might be saved. She cried for mercy. She took the means appointed... Remember, she hung that scarlet thread out, which meant she believed. And she trusted in the oath given to her. And I think about it, ladies and gentlemen, each one of those points we, we looked at last week, especially that last one, trust the oath that's been given to you in regards to salvation. God said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we come to this final message in these last eight verses of Hebrews chapter 11, of this blessed chapter of the Word of God. And please allow me to say that each of the characters that we're going to almost brush past today could be worthy of a message all themselves. But if we could, let's look at verse 32 and just by way of outline, notice with me the great characters of faith. The great characters of faith. It says there, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me. Boy, this is a preacher for sure. The time would fail me. Amen. To tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah. These were all judges in the book of Judges. And then of David also and of Samuel and of the prophets. Can I say this as we, those of us that know our Bible, know Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the great hall of what? Faith. And what an honor it is to have your name listed in the great hall of faith. The Medal of Honor in our, in our country, in America, 
The Medal of Honor is the nation's highest military award for bravery. It is awarded by the President in the name of Congress. For this reason, it is often referred to as the Congressional Medal of Honor. Since it was first awarded in 1863 during the Civil War, 3,520 individuals with 19 double recipients have been awarded the medal. Currently, as of April 13, 2023, there are 65 living recipients in our country of the Medal of Honor. And by the way, we're losing them fast. There are no more World War II recipients and there are no more Korean recipients. Vietnam and the Gulf. It is only awarded to those who exhibited exceptional acts of bravery above and beyond the call of duty. No one can receive the Medal of Honor for following an order. The entire chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 is, ladies and gentlemen, God's Medal of Honor recipients. It really is. We've looked at Abel in verse 4, Enoch in verse 5 and 6, Noah, verse 7, Abraham, verses 8 through 19, Sarah, verse 11, Isaac, verse 20, Jacob, verse 21, Joseph, verse 22, Amram and Jochebed, verse 23, Moses, verses 24 through 29, and Rahab in verse 31. By my count, there are only 16 people mentioned by name in this chapter, 18 if you count Moses' parents. Each one of these characters received the highest commendation from God. And it was because they placed their faith and trust in Him that they did the exploits they did. And so it says in verse 32, What, what, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of. And then he begins to list characters. I'll go through them quickly, ladies and gentlemen. The first one he says is Gideon. Gideon's stories found in Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. And again, those of you that remember uh, that the story of Gideon, remember he was uh, uh, tasked to deliver Israel from the Midianites and he had an army of 32,000 men. And God whittled it down to an army of 300. Now I don't know about you, but I would think that 32,000 fighting men is better than 300 fighting men. Simple mathematics. But I will tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, 300 dedicated fighting men obedient to God with God's blessing is better than any amount you can come up with. He did it by faith. And it goes back to what's said in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. It talks about, remember when Jonathan said, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, that it may be the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or few. That great military plan in, first, in Judges 7, 1 through 18, reducing that army. And what did they have to fight with? They had 300 trumpets, 300 pitchers, and 300 candles. No tanks, no chariots, 
No artillery. Just God. Just God. And they, they had an incredible victory. And what, what was the victory? I'll tell you what the victory was. God did it. God did it. You know, the Bible talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29, how God calls preachers. God calls preachers, and preachers are to preach, and, and uh, preaching to those that don't believe is foolishness. Now, I forgive me, I have heard some foolish preaching before as well. But what's the purpose? And, and the, the, the Bible specifically says that not many, not, and I like the fact that it says not many, not many mighty, not many noble are called to preach. God, God uses the base things. He uses simple people. Why does He do that? That no flesh should glory in His presence. See, the problem is when a preacher takes all the glory, God gets none of it. Gideon couldn't take glory. God did it. Gideon. Simple faith in God led to obedience. Well, then we learn uh, the name that's given there is, is Barak. And Barak, uh, in the Old Testament, in Judges chapter 4, is used to deliver Israel from the mighty oppressive hand of King Jabin and the Canaanites. You ought to read that story when you get a chance in Judges chapter 4. And then the next name that's listed is Samson. I think most of us, who are even moderately familiar with the Bible, have heard of Samson. We've heard of Samson, God's strong man. And God used him to begin to break the Philistines' 40-year stranglehold upon Israel. And if you read about his mighty deeds, he literally tore a lion in two. Now that's amazing. He slew 1,000 of the enemies of God with the jawbone of a donkey. He carried, my, I think probably my favorite of all Samson's exploits is he, he carried away the gates of Gaza. He literally came out of the city and he just grabbed the gates of the city and just walked off with them. He slew about 3,000 men in his death. Now, by the way, we know about Samson. Probably the most familiar and famous story about Samson is how he loses his hair, which was symbolic of his Nazarite vow to God. He loses his hair to Delilah and then has his eyes put out in his grinding at the mill. You know what I love about this text that we're looking at in Hebrews chapter 11? The last mention we had of Samson was him dying with his eyes poked out and grinding at the mill. Basically, if we could put it this way, the last message we had of Samson in the Old Testament was simply he was dealing with the consequences of his sin. But you know what we see here? We see that God, I love this, we see that God doesn't remember his failures, he remembers his faith. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad when you come to God, you confess your sins, you confess your failures, that God doesn't see your failures anymore? He sees your faith. Why? How do you know that, Pastor? Because if the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not my faithfulness, it's the faithfulness Brother Kevin played about there on the piano. Great is thy faithfulness. So we learn of Gideon, we learn of Barak, we learn of Samson, we learn of Jephthah. 
In Judges chapter 11, God uses him to deliver Israel from the Amorites. We, we learn of David, of course. We know the story of David and Goliath. We, Goliath. we know the story of David with King Saul. We, we know David, King David. And then it says of Samuel, uh, he was that great prophet and judge. And so there are these great characters of faith that we have in our text. But then we see not only the great characters of faith, we see the great exploits of faith. Look at verses 33 through 35 there. It said, who through faith subdued kingdoms. You know, Moses and Joshua and the judges and David, you know what they did? They subdued kingdoms. How did they do it? Did they do it in their own strength? Did they do it in their own military might? No, they didn't either. They did it through faith in God, and God did it. An important point to recognize is that the kingdoms here subdued were those which sought to prevent the people of God, Israel, from entering into their rightful inheritance. The Christian has been begotten into an inheritance, 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. That inheritance is to be enjoyed by faith, for faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But there are powerful enemies seeking to harass and hinder us, and they must be subdued. The kingdoms of self and sin and the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes must be, ladies and gentlemen, subdued. So they subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousnesses. I think of Elijah on Mount Carmel. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, The Lord, He is God. You remember the great contest at Carmel. By the way, faith can bring personal and corporate revival. Faith does that. Usually just one person and one person becomes two or three and two or three become five or six that just want to live for God and just want to see God do something. What else did they do? They obtained promises. They obtained promises. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac when they were old. Abraham saw Isaac delivered from his knife. Why? Because God promised to a lamb. Promised himself a lamb. Moses brought down the plagues and delivered God's people by faith. Joshua brought up Israel into the promised land, walked around Jericho. And the walls fell just like God had promised. Gideon defeated the Midianites. How are you obtaining promises? I'll tell you what, Christian, you know how you obtain promises? By faith. By faith. Just trusting God. Trusting, trusting in these promises that He's given. They stopped the mouths of lions. Samson did that. <laughs> David did that. Remember David? As he was defending the sheep, he took on a lion. And of course, the most famous of those, Daniel. I love the story of Daniel in the lion's den. I think of 
either the lions with closed mouths, Miss Judy, like this, or just wide open. And Daniel just walking up and looking in there saying, oh, you got a little shadow on that bicuspid there. You probably want to get that looked at, amen. <laughs> oh, stop the mouths of lions. Hey, you know what, church? Don't forget the command God gives us in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. They quench the violence of fire, according to the text. Of course, the three Hebrews in Babylon went into the fiery furnace, didn't they? And they had no hurt on them. They escaped the edge of the sword. I think of David, how he escaped Goliath's sword and Saul's sword and Absalom's sword. How did he do it? By faith. I love this. Out of weakness were made strong. Where do you see that, Pastor? Well, I see it in Gideon's 300. But you know where else I see it? I see it in the womb of Sarah. A 90-year-old woman's womb is weak. And all God's mom said, please, help me on that point a little bit there. Yeah. Out of weakness were made strong, but you know what? Through faith, her womb was strengthened. And she had a baby at 90 years old. How? By faith in God. By a little faith in a great God. They waxed valiant in fight, according to our text again. Samson slew a thousand. David's mighty men. How? By faith. They turned to flight the armies of aliens. I think about the Israelites in Amalek in Exodus chapter 17. And I think of the Amorites. You remember when Joshua, uh, the sun stood still. And they turned those alien armies to flight. It doesn't mean aliens from outer space. (laughs) How'd they do that? By faith. It says there in verse 35, women receive their dead raised to life again. The widow at Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. The Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. How did that all happen? How did these great exploits come about? By faith. So there's the great characters of faith. There's the great exploits of faith. There are the great unnamed others of faith. We're simply told that there were not only these 16, 18 names that we know so well, but there were others. Others. It says, what does it say there? Others. What then shall we say about the others, Sir Robert Anderson wrote in Triumphs of Faith, of whom the closing verses of this chapter speak? For of them it is that the words are written, of whom the world was not worthy. Humble saints, many of them, whose very names are lost to us, but who are credited in heaven with still greater triumphs. God carefully chooses not to reveal their names. Only God Himself knows the names of these and literally millions upon millions of others. 
the great unnamed others of faith, the great exploits of faith, the great characters of faith. How about, ladies and gentlemen, the great trials of faith? You know, we talked today, and, and, and listen, I, I'm not minimizing burdens. I, I'm certainly not. I know what it is to have burdens. Some of you have burdens. Some of you, oh, I'm, I'm going through great trials. Well, how about some of these? I mean, let's, let's take our trials and put them up against these. Others were tortured. As far as I know, I don't think anybody in this room has been tortured for your faith. I don't think so. Tortured. Someone has rightly called torturers devils in human form. Torturers fed Christians to the lions for entertainment when this was written. Entertainment. Sent them to the Colosseum on some pretext and Christians would go and Next thing you know, they'd let the lions out. Torturers used the rack to try to get believers to recant. You say, what's the rack? It's where they take you and literally stretch you. Stretch it till all your bones come out of joint. Your shoulders, your hips, your knees. They use the thumb screw. You say, what's that? Exactly what you think it is. You put your thumb down, and they take a screw, and they stick it into your nail. Why? Because you believed in Jesus Christ. You know, it amazes me, again, thinking about yesterday, running into someone who had such contempt for Christians. We, we've learned in the 20th century what regimes who have contempt for Christianity do to Christians. It's the opposite in America for those that don't have any faith or those that even oppose faith. We say, you live your life and we'll live ours. But the other way around just doesn't happen. They have to get you to recant. The Iron Maiden, what an awful, torturous device, a hot chair that they would heat up with spikes all in it and then they would close the person in it. The head crusher. That's exactly what you think it is. It's a vice. They would put Christians' heads in vices. The knee splitter. Burned alive and then kept alive to be burned again. These are the tortures that others went through. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Some Christians were skinned alive and then left alive. Others were tortured. Others had trials of cruel mockings, it says in verse 35, and scourging. How many Christians have been brought before show trials and kangaroo courts and called heretics just for standing on, thus saith the Lord? By the way, let me just say this. Uh, uh, we have these, these great testimonies of people. It ought to affect us. It ought to impact us. It ought to cause us to be more faithful instead of less faithful. Can't be bothered to come to Sunday night church. That's just a little too much commitment. Amen, Pastor. That's good preaching right there. You ought to keep that up. Verse 36, Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. 
The stories of men like Harl and Popov and Richard Wormbrand are not only a testimony of the glories of communism, quote-unquote, which is neither glorious at all. It's as wicked as could be. But what communists will do with dissidents, they should also be shared amongst God's people as testimonies of people that were wrongly imprisoned and stood for God. It says in verse 37, they were stoned. Was not this the outcome of the first martyr, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, after he preached that glorious sermon that had a phenomenal interpretation, but the Jewish leaders didn't care much for his application when he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. And they stoned him. Paul was stoned in Lystra. Got up, went right back in Lystra and started preaching. Brother Tom, that always amazes me. I would have gone the other direction. Verse 37 says they were sawn asunder. Can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen? Jewish tradition says that King Manasseh, who would later repent, thankfully, but did so much evil. King Manasseh put the prophet Isaiah, the, the one who wrote, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the one who wrote that death will one day be swallowed up in victory. Put Isaiah inside of a hollow log and commanded that he be sawn in two. Again, ladies and gentlemen, this is no chainsaw. This is no quick and it's all done. This is what it says here about these others. By the way, how, how, how are your problems doing right now? Doing okay? Again, I'm not minimizing them. Everybody has problems. But these are great trials of faith and for the faith. These are people who were given the opportunity to recant and say, all you have to do is say you don't believe in Jesus. All you have to do is say you don't believe in God. And they said, I can't do that. I can't do that. Sawn asunder. It says there in verse 37, they were tempted. Oh, the temptations that Satan will put in the believer's path, particularly during trials, to allure them to fall down and worship Him. They were slain with the sword. Remember James, that great preacher, great pastor? Acts chapter 12, Herod ran him through with the sword. It says there in verse 37 and verse 38, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world is not worthy. Verse 38, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves and dens of the earth. In these verses we learn of the great fiery trials that God permits to befall His choicest servants. This presents a very difficult thought for consideration. Why? Why? 
when God is all-powerful, would He ever allow such horrible things to be done to His own children? I mean, after all, I'm a father, you're a father, uh, there's some mothers here, and I would never allow that to happen to one of my children from a human point of view. This is a proper statement. However, God is God. And He does not see things through human vision, but divine vision. Oh, how important it is when we come to these perplexing paradoxes of life that baffle our human understanding. This is why God wrote that beautiful verse in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. We read the back half of Hebrews here and we think, this just doesn't make sense. We have to be reminded that God is sovereign. Psalm chapter 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in the heaven and hath done whatsoever He pleased. He has purpose in what He does. We have to remember that Nahum 1.7 says that God is good. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knoweth them that trust in Him. We have to remember that God loves us. Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We have to remember, according to Isaiah 55, verse 8, that God knows what He's doing, even when I don't. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, for, saith the Lord. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Remember that verse that you can hold on to, ladies and gentlemen is in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good. doesn't say all things are good. You, you read through this list here in, in verses 35 through 38, I don't care who you are, those are not good things. They work together for good. You know, I can think of one, just knowing, knowing your Bible, you can think of one right away. And that was the death of Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. Remember that? Uh, terrible. Here's this great deacon, this spirit-filled deacon, this, this martyr, this first martyr. And you know what it says? That they laid their garments at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, who became the apostle Paul. God used that terrible event. In Saul's life. Go with me to the New Testament there. You're in Hebrews. Just go over a couple of books to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Almost done here. Right on, we're right on time. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 12, please, if you're there.
One of the first things that Satan did in his temptation of Adam and Eve was he tried to convince Eve that God was not good. He's not being good to you. If he was being good to you, he'd let you eat of all the trees. See, he's not good. Sometimes when trials come into our lives, the devil says the exact same thing to us. See, he's not good to you. He was good to you. He wouldn't allow these trials in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, nobody ever gets stronger without pressure. Ask a weightlifter. How do you, how do you build muscle? You put more weight on. Put more weight on. You maybe do more repetitions. But it's through struggle that strength comes. Look what it says in verse 12. It says, Beloved. I love that verse. I love that word in the New Testament. I love that word. Beloved. Talking to God's people here. Not just talking to everybody. He's talking to God's people. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. I have a question for you. Did Jesus Christ suffer? Yes, He did. See, we only think of the cross. But that was obviously the culmination of the physical sufferings of Christ. But I promise you this, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ suffered mentally, emotionally. And when God laid the sin of the world upon him, I believe in Gethsemane, not everybody believes, that's okay. When he began to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, that he suffered. And you know what Jesus said to his disciples just moments before the cross? He said this, The servant is not greater than his Lord. He said, if if they've hated me, they're going about to kill me, they're going to hate you. The problem is today that Christians aren't hated. Why is that? I believe it's because we're trying to play both sides. It's, it's the old story that old Vance Hapner used to tell of a, during the Civil War of a man who, he was right on the, the, the edge of a battle. And there was, of course, the Union on one side and the, the South on the other side. And he, he said, well, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll put on pants of the Union And I'll put on uh, the blue pants of a union and I'll put on a gray coat of the South. And the guy from the South shot him in the leg and the guy from the union shot him through the heart. Huh? It's, It's just time, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to start taking a stand. It's time to say we're different from the world. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Forgive me 
I don't trust a preacher that doesn't have any enemies. Brother Rob, you must not be saying much. Woe unto you, Jesus said, when all men shall speak well of you. I understand. I, listen, as a pastor, I want to have a good reputation. I want to have a good reputation in the community. I want to have a good name in the community. But there'll be times when people hate me for my stand for Christ, and that is a good thing. And by the way, that's not just for the preacher. That's for believers. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, rejoice. Be happy about it. Why? Because he says there, the spirit of glory and God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. And here's what he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matter. He said, yeah, we're still all sinners. Don't suffer because of sin. That's up the road, whether you're Christian or not. But he says, yet if any man suffer as a Christian for Christ, because of Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. There's a great song by the Nichols family. The chorus goes like this, God wanted it that way. God wanted it that way. Every trial, every test was only for the best. It was always in His plan, though we may not understand. As the potter molds the clay, God just wanted it that way. They're the great characters of faith. The great exploits of faith. The great unnamed others of faith. The great trials of faith. And then as we close out this series of messages, we see the great end of faith. The great end of faith. It says here of the 18 that were named and then the others, and these, verse 39 please, and these all obtained a good report through the deeds they had done. Is that what your Bible says? No, it isn't either. These obtained a good report through One day, we're going to face God. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you to trust Christ as your Savior. Because if you face God without knowing Christ as your Savior, you face Him for your sins. And that's a long list. Because we sin every day. Even if we could just take, take all the past sins and get rid of them, we'd still have today and tomorrow and every day that we live and breathe. But for those of us who have placed our faith in God, we will one day stand before Him and give an account to Him for the life we lived, what we did, what we didn't do, our motives as to why we did what we did or didn't do. And we will come to that great end of faith. And as someone has properly put it, if you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, you better start doing well. Here. Because you don't hear it there without doing it here. But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. 
We're not going to stand before God and say, well, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did There's only one spot in the Bible where that happens. And it's in Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus says to these lost people, I never knew you. They said, but didn't we do this and this and this and this? Literally, ladies and gentlemen, when, I believe when we see the Lord, those of us who know the Lord, we are going to fall down on our knees and then on our faces. I believe. And I believe he will gently pick us up, Miss Judy. I used to do that to my kids when they were little, when they would have something, something would happen, and Brother Lolly, I'd just take my hand on their face and just rub it. And just, it'll be okay. And we'll see him, the Bible, face to face. We're going to see him face to face. And what we're going to say is, in my hand, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Not of works that I have done, but because of God's own Son is the reason I'm here. But, but, the end of our faith is Jesus, but it is also to be approved of and rewarded by Jesus. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, there is a day coming. There is a day coming. I've given this illustration before. I try not to use too many illustrations too many times because they do become familiar, but um, I used it not long ago, but it's the story of Teddy Roosevelt. President Teddy Roosevelt was an avid big game hunter, and he was in Africa on a hunting trip. And he was just, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, all you hunters, we got plenty of hunters out there. He was over there shooting things. Nothing wrong with that, I guess, amen. And he came back on a boat. And a missionary that had been on the field for 40 years, that had buried his bride and tried to start a church and tried to win Africans to Christ, was on that same boat coming back. And Teddy Roosevelt got off the boat and they began to play. Hail to the chief, he's the one we all say hail to. And all this big brass band and crowd. And here came this old missionary with his cane after all that had cleared. And there was nobody waiting for him. Nobody. Not one person. And he began to walk down the gangplank. And he began to begin to feel a little sorry for himself. And he said, he said within himself, he said, Lord, the president's here and he's just been shooting animals. And I've been here trying to reach souls for you my whole life. And he gets a brass band and I get nobody. He said he heard the Holy Spirit whisper, you're not home yet. You know, the, the last part of verse 40 says, if you look at verse 39 and 40, it says, These having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. They didn't receive the promise. You and I haven't received the promise yet. Yet. Says having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. One day we are going to be made perfect. One, listen to me, one day every little thing that you have done for the Lord, God's kept track of every last, every last jot and every last tittle. 
Every last dollar you helped a missionary or a brother or sister in need or just wanted to be a blessing to somebody, every last dollar God's kept track of every last one of them. Every last deed you've done for somebody else. Every last no. Every last scripture. Listen to me, Saturday crowd. Every last gospel track you've ever passed out because you cared about the souls of men. God has kept track of it all. And we're not home yet. But we're going to be soon. Here's the challenge. Those of you that have placed your faith in Christ, stay the course. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen to me, not time for less church, it's time for more church. It's not time for passing out less gospel tracts, it's time for more. Why? Because the day is approaching. I was literally thinking this week, thinking about COVID, thinking about as a, three years ago we had drive-in services. Remember the drive-in services? People out there honking for amen. Amen. That was great. It was just, we, we, did, we did what we could. Amen. Tried to gather. We started our do-it-right bucket and we've never gotten rid of it. Hallelujah for that. Amen. But I thought about that. I said, we're three years closer to the return of the Lord. You know, some people have not come back since COVID. They really need to. So much the more. So much the more. See that you provoke one another to love and to good works. Can't do that if we're not together. And I realize some of you have challenges. I'm thankful for those of you that come on Sunday morning, and that is literally all you can do. I'm thankful for that. I mean that with all my heart. But the rest of us who can be back at different services and aren't, I want to challenge you. It is not the time to be less, it's the time to be more. We do not have the trials that these Christians have, but you know what? They did not give in during the trials. They endured them for God. I wonder if the government said tomorrow, you can't meet anymore. Not that there's a virus or anything like that. So you're just not allowed to meet anymore. I wonder how many people would not come. By the way, I'm, I'm, not being, I'm not boasting or proud or anything like that. I don't know if I'd come. I would tell myself, you need to be there. I would look at the Word of God and say, this is what God's Word says. If, you, if we have some readers here, I would highly recommend the book Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher. Phenomenal book. Talked about the Eastern Bloc Christians and uh, just phenomenal books. Written in 2020. So it's not an old book. Live not by lies. Absolutely great. Talked about these Christians in the Eastern Bloc and how they had to meet in secret. They'd meet in this house one week and then in another house another week. But they, Miss Mary, they met. And they sung. And they worshipped. And they had what little of the Word of God they had, sometimes only pieces and portions. And they read it together and they prayed. And they went out in their communities and did good. Wonder what would happen here. By the way, I don't think we're going to have to wonder for too much longer about those kind of things. Praise God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this more and more and more. Say, what are you doing? I'm preparing for the rapture. Well, it's going to be any minute now, amen? I'm just, just getting ready. A little rapture practice there, amen? If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can know about Christ and not know Him. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to, you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. It's so simple. It's not nearly as hard as religion makes it. 
See, there's really, Brother Salmon said this to me years ago, there's really two religions. Great quote. He said, there's works and grace. That's it. You can boil every other religion down into works. And then there's the grace of God that'll save you if you just call upon the name of the Lord. Knowing you're a sinner and knowing he's the son of God, the savior. He will save you. He'll do it. Father, thank you.